What is he lifting? Is that like a bunch of Tupperware? He's lifting um, their milk bottles. Are they full or are they empty? I think he fills them with water, if I know right. If I, oh, I imagine they're empty. Hello and welcome to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies, the pop culture and movie podcast that always liked the idea of having another child, but is now having some serious second thoughts. Joining me, as always, is the man who thought Antichrist was the Virgin Mary's sister, Sean Ferrick. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Ian. And dial 666 if you're looking for a good time with a man who knows his way around the crucifix, it's Albert Hogan. Oh wow, that's quite an intro. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually I recorded that intro, sent it. I didn't know if Antichrist worked, so I recorded it and sent it to you guys. Listen back to it, wet myself and deleted it, so you never heard that, it. What the, <sighs> is that uh, what that deleted uh, message was? Yes, it was. Um, cool. So if that intro wasn't clear enough, we're going to be covering the Omen this week, and we're all. Well, I mean, Sean's just had a pint of coffee, but me and Albert are just legitimately excited to talk about this film. Um, we... <laughs> I thought we were covering Care Bears. Oh, out loud. I mean, there is a little bit of Teletubbies in this film. Not not much, but... <laughs> Bef... <laughs> True evil. It, they really are. Tinky Winky, you sick bastard. Um, before we die into that, we're going to cover off a little bit of news. News team, assemble! <laughs> so, <laughs> the, um, yeah. The uh, da, 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 da. it's going to do two things today. Um, first of all, spider multiple men, spider men's. Yeah, apparently. Now I live under a rock, apparently, which is strange considering who I work for. But I didn't even know that this the possibility of this. Like I'd heard, I'd heard like, wouldn't this be cool if? Yeah, but I didn't I'd, know that they were yeah. talking about this for serious, for serious. But the first inkling we got was when Doctor Strange was confirmed for Spider-Man 3. And people were just like, multiverse, you say? And then especially when, um, not Into Darkness, um, Into the Spider-Verse came out. Um, I love which, that film. Which kind of confirmed, well, no, it did confirm the whole multi-universe thing. And moreover, you can do it without being super confusing. Um, and this is just, it's, it will be the most meta film in the world. Now, from what I've read is that they're just going to come in for the finale. So I imagine Doctor Strange might swoop in, break some rules, and introduce Maguire and Garfield. But whatever form it takes, that's going to be epic. I'm so on board. I can just imagine they're actually just going to remake Endgame, but that scene at the end will just be all Spider-Man. It'd be so good, wouldn't it? And it's just, it's a nice for my headcanon thing. It, it's nice that we acknowledge that those films are there. I know it doesn't matter. We don't need to acknowledge it. It doesn't matter. Pike looks different. It's fine. But for, for my own brain, it's nice that they exist. They're just in another universe somewhere, um, apart from Spider-Man 3. Um, we'll just pretend those events didn't happen. Poor Spider-Man. <sighs> Spider-Man 3, can we all agree on the fact that the birth of Sandman is an amazing scene? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, really, really, really good. Um, it's just, I just, I never liked the Green Goblin stuff. I never, yeah. all of the stuff with, I've forgotten his name already, but all of the stuff with him bugged me. Uh, which, li Little Goblin uh, or Big? Little Goblin. Um, uh, Harry yeah. Osborne, yeah. James Franco? Yeah, James Franco, yeah. that's it. Fine with James Franco, but never liked that arc. 
You excited for it, Albert? Are you a Spider-Man man? I am indeed. Uh, I'm quite intrigued to see how they bring them together. Um, it'll be interesting to see you know, Spider-Men at different stages in their life as well, right? Because they'll have to acknowledge, unless they do the Marvel thing of like de-aging everyone, Oh, that's um, interesting, yeah. That, you know, Andrew Garfield's in his late 30s, Tobey Maguire's probably about the same. Um, and then obviously, you know, our current reigning Spider-Man is much younger. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's a bit of a coup if they manage to oh, pull it sure. off. Mm. And yeah, it definitely will, like you say, the headcanon thing, it sort of makes sense for me as well. So yeah, um, nice. yeah re- really excited. Um, just kind of want to get there now just waiting yeah who knows how many years away that's going to be Um, and how it's going to fit into the next phase of the mcu as well yes interesting um so no i'm not even going to try a segue um discovery season three opener there was something there about reboots and things but i didn't quite get there um (laughs) literally i've just watched this about two hours ago um sean what do you think of it I think it's an episode that has like eight down, uh, eight ups and two downs. No, uh, it oh, was an oddly specific. Review. Strange, strange, isn't it? No, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, Why did you give it two downs? I legally can't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you would like to know what those downs are, please visit YouTube. But no, I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, just yay Star Trek with the budget. I mean, it looks beautiful and also i am ride or die everyone go to iceland at some point in your life and they film a lot of this in iceland and it's just it like see you see why you should go it's yeah. brilliant and beautiful Reykjavik has been on my list for a long long time it's extremely expensive but yes, with good is. reason with good reason um i loved it absolutely loved it um i think it's really really clever that they focused on one character um i think the new new Star Trek in particular can try to pack too much in to the episode and I think if you had Tilly running around it would have been a bit too manic and Saru doing the passionate stuff you'd have lost a bit from your Starfleet man that's doing the passionate stuff um this was a really tight one character story um that it's set up it set up some mysteries um it's set up kind of what the rest of the series is going to be about I love it I thought it was awesome what do you think Albert? Yeah, right there with you. I mean, it just, it honestly felt like a feature film, um, just the quality. And, you know, I was kind mm-hmm. of slightly concerned because we knew that a lot of the effects and music and that were done post-COVID. Um, but there is no dip in quality in the film, what's, or in the episode whatsoever. No, it's a film. Um, it is a 50-minute film. It, it is a film. And I, I think, you know, Sinequa manages to carry that episode brilliantly. And, you know, I... I was sort of cheering along with her when she had that really kind of visceral moment to just screaming when she realized that there was yeah. life through to that really kind of quieter, tender moment at the end um, with the new acting chief communications officer. Um, so yeah, oh, I abso- absolutely adored it. I'm really intrigued by the, the the little bits of information we've got about what's going on in, in the future um, and just the production quality of the cinematography. I mean, it's just, it's it, like I thought Discovery had raised the bar already and like with each season they just seem to get better and better so I am really excited to see where it goes. The opening shot of Iceland Planet it, yeah that's what made me think this could this could have been the next Star Trek film it is just cinematic as 
book. It's so so good. I know that Netflix shows have a high production quality, high production budget and quality, but it doesn't mean it's always used well. Um, True. The, it's done so so well. Um, I really, 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 really liked something that I've forgotten about. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> no, no, I really, no, no, I really sorry, I really liked um, when she's repeating um, her service number to herself, and like she's almost like right phaser, tricorder. I'm a thousand years in the future, but these are my touchstones. These are things that I need to hold on to. Um, that was it, man. I am scatty as anything today. Right. So your man on the space station, the, you, you're, um, you're acting chief communications officer now. I think like Discovery and Picard in particular have been criticised for being very negative. He is just a little beacon of joy and hope and Starfleet. And for want of a better word, the Starfleet that you might have grown up with is still there. Even a thousand years in the future, he's holding on to it. And if, that, if the message of the, the series is pulling together whatever is left of the Federation and rebuilding it and rebuilding a community. That is such a powerful message, especially with the world around us today. So I'm here for it. I think it's going to be a great series. And and how brilliant was it like that in that scene, it was three people of colour and it was never like forced nope. or referenced. It was just the reality of the future. This is it. We all we'll get along together and we'll rebuild. And I just love that moment. I thought it was really it's brilliant. Star, I didn't... Star Trek to the core. It is. I didn't notice it. Somebody on Twitter said, was there a single white man in that episode? And I had to, I didn't even notice. And I love that because it's, you shouldn't notice. It doesn't matter. It's yeah, Star nice. Trek. It's TV. Watch the performances and enjoy it. We had a black man, we had a blue man, we had a green man, but no white we had a, man. We had a queen cat. That was awesome. <laughs> and that was all we needed. Yeah. Special love for Grudge. We love Grudge already. Oh, Grudge's yes. queen. So I didn't think that they were going to address how big it was. I thought it was just going to be Space Cat is big, but she's got a fucking thyroid condition. It's so good. It's I so, so mix that with all the future tech. I know. 900 years advanced medicine. Um, we can fix many, many things, but can we fix, fix a thyroid condition? Um, I love it. It's so, so good. And if that cat, if anything happens to that cat, I will not be happy. Now, why would you say that out loud? when 2020 is listening well because i know what i know what 2020 is like and i know what it does to us but i'm sure this was written in 2019 and that wasn't a no that was a pretty shit year as well <laughs> starter discovery <laughs> season three episode one was quite good go and watch it thumbs up it was grand right onto the omen onto a film that features <laughs> i believe no people of color yeah that was quite stand. It stood out a bit, didn't it? But um, yeah, seventies shrug shoulders. Yeah, seventy six, and with one glaring exception, who we will get to. Um, yeah, it sort of fits. You know, it's London, nineteen seventy six. It's you mm. know in the home of the American ambassador, that kind of thing. You know, it's kind yeah. of like, yeah, okay, this was not going to be the film that broke down uh, those kind of areas. <laughs> but hey, at least there's not a huge amount of smoking in it. I noticed. <laughs> That's true. There's still That's quite true. a bit of walking. And driving. And driving. Quite a bit of driving, actually. The 70s yeah. really loved driving, didn't it? Yeah, because, like, you know, got to do something to highlight that oil crisis in 1973. Well, hey, Yay. whacking you with a bit of history there. Boom. Mm. In your face. So, The Omen is the story of a... I'm getting really good at these synopses. It's the story of a baby that got adopted, turned out to be evil, tried to kill his mum... Um, 
probably Son of Satan, definitely Twisted, um, and Dogs Happen. Yeah. And guys, thanks very much for joining us this week. Um, if you want, if, uh, Albert, if anyone wants to find you, no. Um, yeah, this is this is sort of like horror movie, The Dog's Revenge for me, because the dogs have been treated really badly in the film so far. They have, um, absolutely. Are, are, they, are, have. They, are they? Are they? Are they being the good guys? Like you know, that is also. Um, uh, whereas in this one, yeah, they're just nasty dogs. This and one did not? nothing for the reputation of the Rottweiler. It really oh didn't. no, I bet. And that's that's something that filmmakers do need to think about. Your how you present a dog or an animal does uh, sadly have a, have an impact on culture and how they see it. Well, thanks to a robot called Bruce, shark numbers plummeted in the mid to late 70s when people started killing the crap out of every shark they could find really is that because true that's actually um yes it's true um i don't know what the overall numbers are but oh, there was Jesus. a a big upswing in shark hunting to the point where peter benchley who wrote the novel came out later and said he had regretted writing the novel because, because of, of it. that that's yeah. crap i mean it would if only the reverse was true and after star trek 4 came out the, the humpback whale population massively increased, but I don't, I can't say that was probably true. <laughs> well, Star Trek 4, wasn't it? The Voyage Home, uh, it was indeed, yeah, yeah, all the whales, yeah. cool, yeah. right? Okay, so compared to the Amityville horror in general, what a different reaction watching Albert watch this film was. <laughs> you, I think you were, but well, we were both giddy. So, Sean's seen this film backwards, forwards quite a lot of times. Albert, um, was virginal. I'd seen it, but my omen virginity, my omen virginity had grown back because it had so long since I'd watched it. Um, Albert, flipping it, how much did you love this film? I really loved it. I mean, it's just, it's the right side of creepy. Um, it just comes together beautifully. And actually, when you know, if you were to give me the the plot synopsis without seeing the film, and I came into this film knowing nothing about it really. Um, I'd go, that sounds a bit hokey, but actually it works incredibly well. And, you know, it's shot really well. The performances are spectacular. The music is sensational. Um, the threat within it, like the, the actual horror elements itself are, are pretty terrifying and are quite iconic. And you can see why this has been, you know, a real sort of gold standard in terms of, of horror movies. Um, it is definitely... You know, it's very close to The Exorcist for me. It's not quite as good mm. as The Exorcist in my ideas, in, in my head. But it is a, you know, I think it is a really strong film, um, and definitely one. You know, I've been intrigued by, want to watch again, um, and you know, will probably stay with me for a long time. Yeah. How was your um? Uh, what was your exposure to The Omen? And similar thoughts, like, is this why it stayed up in your estimation so much, Sean? Um, I, to be honest, I can't remember why I chose to, I, I rented the DVD years and years ago, um, or I should say my dad probably rented it for me. Great, great parenting once again. Absolutely. The, the, the yeah. Alien, the Exorcist, the, the Omen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, it just ticked all the right boxes. Um, I completely agree with you, Albert. So this is going to be a boring episode because we all agree on everything. But no, I yeah, completely agree with you, Albert, that it is, it's not as good as The Exorcist, but I don't even mean that as a criticism. I think The Exorcist is just, it's your, it's your top tier whiskey, right? 
and then the omen sits on the very well-deserved second shelf but it's a hell of a lot up from you know your you know i just squeeze his head of a spot i know nothing about whiskey all right i'm doing my best um <laughs> but um, but it's because it hits all the right religious notes even now so we said on a previous episode, obviously the Exodus episode, myself and Albert, we are aware of religion as a thing. Whereas Ian, we had to introduce you to the idea that people believe in a religion thing. Um, we, we, we spoke off air about there's a thing called a church. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a good time had by all. But I feel this, obviously being a religious horror film, I don't know, I don't feel like oddly beats you over the head with it even though you're getting bible verses thrown at you well actually that particular poem isn't in the bible but you're getting all that kind of thrown at you and it's all about you know son of god you know da, 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 da. yeah and, and yeah. which is strange considering omen uh, damien is the antichrist you'd think if anything this would be more heavily religious it's there's mm. definitely there's definitely religious overtones and they do they go from the bible but the exorcist that, that story is about this demon wants to undo everything about the Catholic Church. But it's almost like Damien and the demons around him and whatever, they know that religion is necessary, but it's been dominant for too long. So it's it's now it's my turn and I'm gonna cause some I'm gonna cause some shit and I'm gonna take over the world. Um it's actually the, the plan itself is really, really clever. Like implant yourself in the family of the of the, the American ambassador. Um, kill his family, and then the president will adopt you. I mean, genius. I mean, I don't really know how you knew that was going to happen, but well done. Nicely played, Damien. And though we don't see the president who is the end, maybe it's... No, we Mr. see him from John. behind, don't we? Yeah, but maybe it's Mr. Donald J. J. Trump. And it I could know. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but picking up on the religious thing, I think what works well in this film, like, not like in Amityville, where there was literally right, we are doing a shot of a, a priest here or a nun here. In this, it feels quite normal. And, um, you know, you don't have, like, the only time you actually go into a church is at the end. So there's lots of scenes outside churches, and that makes the ending all that more impactful and powerful. Mm. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, like... <laughs> Weirdly, when, when they were driving to, to mass and Damien kind of has a, a massive like freak out in the car, that felt really relatable because I, I know Sean will know this as well, like being dragged out of home on a Sunday morning to go to mass and be like, oh, do I have to really? And you would do anything to get out of it. So that felt like weirdly relatable. Um, I totally so like, well, first of all, I feel sorry for your mother. Um, but secondly, <laughs> I totally agree because I imagine that's how I would have felt like, that wasn't necessarily demon child. That was just an anxiety attack. That was, I really yeah. don't want to be around these people or, or at church. I can imagine it being quite scary for a child. But yeah, so it, which is it's, why, yeah, it's why it's, it works. It's because, like, and even the way they cast him, I mean, like, he looks like a normal child. He doesn't look like a child actor, you know, that's very polished and that, like, a lot of Hollywood films are. He mm. looks a bit, you know, a bit normal. And actually that makes it all the more creepy. Um, kind of, yeah, strange. at times nice as well. Like he's, um, you know, the, the a bit in the zoo where he goes with his mum. There's a couple of, you know, it's it's very kind of almost uh, ambient dialogue, but it's like, you know, oh, thank you, mummy, and and I want to see, and that's fine. 
Whereas the there is, of course, a remake of this film. And clearly, the kid who I wish all the luck to is a little boy, so it's not on him. But the director obviously said to him, look evil. And then <clears> never spoke to that child again for the entirety <clears throat> of filming. Yeah, that was one of my notes, is that how do you direct a child of that age so well? Or do you just get a little bit lucky? Like, he doesn't look particularly, he doesn't look creepy at all. He looks very innocent, but his facial reactions and and how how he acts as Damien fits every single scene. It never looks like, A, you're going over the top, or B, you've plonked a camera in front of a child and you're just going to shoehorn it into the scene that you need. Mm. Um, it is phenomenal. Um, it's really, really, really good. And I, especially, good especially, especially considering how much he's on screen as well. You know, actually, yeah. he, he never, like, he's a good little actor. <laughs> you know, he's, he's never not believable. Um, so I thought that was really impactful. And that, and that's it. It's believable, isn't it? So the scene outside yeah. the church—that's a believable thing that could have happened. Whereas sometimes in these films, it's like, yeah, there's there's thumping in the attic, so it must be rats. It's definitely not a demon, and they dismiss things that really you wouldn't dismiss. It was like, move out of that house, please. Um, yeah. You could easily understand a, a, a dad just trying to dismiss that as just yeah, it's kids, kids are kids. There, there, there's a great film. You just reminded me, it's a great film. Now, I'm not going to say the name of the film in case this ends up being a spoiler for someone who hasn't seen it, but there is a great film that addresses exactly that. You know, that, you know, the, you know how long does the couple stay in the house before they realise? And it's actually on the first night, some mad shit happens. And they're like, nah, boom, move out. Nah, I'm out Brilliant, I love it. <laughs> and, and you know, the evil follows. The, and, and it's like, ah, great. But we acknowledged it straight away because you're dead yeah. right. How many films where you've gone like no you wouldn't go into the cellar with no light you wouldn't go up into the attic and then kick the ladder out from under you you know yeah. <laughs> oh what's that somebody's outside i better go out bollock naked just to make sure you know Topless and, like, and or bottomless you, exactly so i think that's a good segue into um the cast this cast carries the film i love it i think it's my favorite single thing about the film gregory peck go for it um, I mean, Albert, yeah. isn't, he, isn't he just amazing? I mean, I think you guys know, like, Killer Mockingbird is one of my absolute favourite films. Yeah. Um, what I love about Gregory Peck is just this quiet intensity he has. He doesn't need to overact. And in a film like this, it would be very easy for him to sort of read the script and kind of go, ah, you know, oh, go to kind of extreme But it's so subtle. It's so believable. Um you would all in his eyes like you just have to if you just had a close-up of his eyes for the whole film i still would be satisfied watching it um and and of course what also makes this even more incredible as a film is his own son had committed suicide not long before this film wow no that i didn't and yeah so he you know he'd actually retired i think and came out of retirement to do this movie so that just gives it a whole other layer as well when you realize this is a guy that is you know in a film where his son dies to author the film and then his antichrist son dies no it doesn't die he tries to kill him yeah. um so uh you know it must have taken incredible discipline and um you know just fortitude. like fortitude is good word yeah just to just to to not to overact, to not push it yeah. so hard. Yeah, and to be able to do the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, 
he did it in a way like what I also like is yes he is clearly the star of the film but actually the rest of the cast hold up really strong as well against him so he doesn't you know outact anyone else in the film in fact there's no weak links in the film when it comes to the cast at all I think um so yeah no that maid that just walks in and says your tea is ready and then walks off I think she phoned it in That was uh, Meryl Streep right there. Um, heavy makeup. My favourite Gregory Peck moments are the ones where he's taking down um, the the crazy priest and um, the insane nanny as well. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. It's just the, the finger wagging. Me and Albert both did it to each other. I was like, no, you will do as I say. This is my kid and I'll do what I want. And I never want to see you again. But he never shouts. He doesn't yell. Yeah. Right, it's that quiet intensity. And I think that it adds, it elevates the film itself because you haven't got B-list actors just doing a performance for a bit of cash. This is a very considered performance um, for a horror film, which I guess it was a little bit more normal in the seventies. But it still it wasn't it wasn't your prestige Hitchcock film, was it? Not really. I mean, you had going back way before the Psycho will be, I suppose, the big tentpole in yeah. horror movies, and that was nineteen sixty. But kind of since then, if if you look at the big successful horror movies, you had obviously Exorcist. This was 76, so Texas Chainsaw wasn't really a thing yet. It would be go on to become a thing, even though it had released in 74. Um, Jaws, I guess, while it is a horror film, it's still also, you know, kind kind yeah. of a family film if you don't like your family very much so then <laughs> mine so obviously you, didn't i yeah. watched that every year from the age of seven onwards <laughs> yeah, well yeah i think your family my family probably they, they know a bit about you this, <laughs> my dad is the one who's like you know kind of oh you look like you're smiling here the exorcist but so yeah so we had it was becoming what's the word i've tried to say? no it was exorcist had given the horror genre a sense of legitimacy that films like the omen massively benefited from but yeah. so did the star's careers now nobody was ever going to say gregory peck needed a, a boot in the hole for his career <laughs> but stars like lee remick who okay i would not be very familiar with her catalog if you like but she was quite a successful actress before coming into the Omen. Um, of course, there was a, a certain man playing an Irishman who had done kind <laughs> of okay for himself uh, on the BBC. Patrick Troughton. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we can talk about him. He's So I don't think he does a particularly great Irish accent, but I'm not... It, what was odd is that the two Irishmen on this podcast yeah. thought that he did a great job. But I think that's because I'm so tuned in to hearing him as the Doctor. Um yeah, Patrick Troughton in this film, he acted in a way that I forgot he was the Doctor. And that is that is phenomenal. So when actors are hesitant about taking on roles because they're going to be typecast, I'm kind of like, hey, be a better actor. <laughs> like, just, you can act your way out of it. Um, and his arc is really, really tight as well in this film. He's not in the entire thing. He serves his purpose. Um, and then, bye! Impossibly one of the best deaths I've seen in any of the horror movies we've watched so far. I mean, that was just it's so, nothing so well short. Done. It's it's terrifying. It's sort of comical. It's like it's it's brilliantly done. 
Um, and oh my God, the music, the scoring in that bit is incredible. So, you know, again, like, it's just, it's, it, a chase, it's iconic, isn't it? It is. It's a chase scene with one person. That's yeah. what they pulled off. It is phenomenal. This storm is chasing him. He's the only one that really knows this could be the end for me. Mm. Um, and there is, there's a, I wonder if it's a tiny bit comical because we're looking at it today. And there is a bit of, why didn't you just step to one side? Um, and then that spike would have missed you, mate. But he does kind of hold that, oh my God, position for a little bit too long. But how it's done itself is really, really good. Like, it's, it's really, really good. Like the whole thing is done. Yeah. And then slump. The whole thing is done. It's done as as practically as you can impale an actor in 1976. But yeah. what I got, so you said a great phrase there. It's a chase scene with one person. And I think, question to the pair of you, who is chasing him? Because he has obviously worked for the side of the devil and he is now working for, selfishly, because he knows he's about to meet his maker, but he's working on the side of the angels. But he gets to the church, which is hallowed ground, and he can't get inside. You know, and these are yeah, in theory, there's... the doors are always open. You know what I mean? Yeah. So who is chasing him? Where, you know, someone is. Well, you've got this, the, the, the opposing trifecta, don't you? You've got the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. What was the, the well devil version? Holy, Holy Trinity. And then you had the Antichrist, uh, the devil, the Antichrist. And, and the false prophet? The false prophet. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's, one of, it's one of those two. It's the false prophet or the devil. They're doing that, Tim. But this is my problem with most supernatural films is stop fucking with people and smite them down. Like, why did you chase him through the park? Why didn't the tree fall on him? Were you trying to give him a chance? And if you're all powerful, why do you need a child on earth? Just fuck people up. So, uh, well, I have, I've my thoughts on that one, right? I think because of what you've just said, that they are fucking with him, I suspect it is. It's the side of hell is basically chasing him to try and stop him from stopping them. But they know they're going to wait. Like there is an evil to them that, you know, a part of, the death is not what's important. That's a foregone. He's riddled with cancer. It's, yeah. it's going to be days, if not weeks. They can't see him as a threat, surely. Absolutely. Like, the worst that he can do, he's pretty much already done. Except he spoke in riddles. He could have just said, go here, speak to this person, talk to that person, use those knives, boom, cushy, back for supper. Yeah, he could have you done. Know? Yeah. But, uh, there is kind of like a nice irony between behind, you know what, this is a good opportunity to kill him with his own church. So I could have smited him at any point, but we're going to knock that steeple down and it's going to become a part of you forever. And it almost feels like he's caught in purgatory. So he's caught between the two because mm. like the church is not letting him in. So it's almost like heaven not letting him in. Mm. And then you've got hell chasing him and tormenting him, which, you know, purgatory is supposed to be all like endless torment. Um, so, you know, I thought that worked incredibly well because it's like a man that's dabbled with both sides and is kind of caught between. And he does say something interesting, doesn't he? He says that he's talking. He's talking to somebody. I think it might be, might be Thorn, and he's saying it's okay. I'll I'll see you in hell. I was like, yeah. Or somebody's going to hell, and he's like, it's all good. I'll see you there. So what has he done that means he's going to hell? So I think you're absolutely right, Al. But I think he's done things that have had him had him pushed out of the church, and maybe he's trying to redeem himself. Well, the, in the film itself um, answers that, right? So, because on first watch, I didn't get this. 
Okay, and in fairness, it's there, so that's on me. Uh, he has and apparently birth- me too. <laughs> he has the birthmark of the three sixes, and oh. um, I uh, Keith uh, David Warner's character. Um, he describes that the the people who beg your pardon, it isn't. It's Bugenhagen uh, says that the apostles of hell have this birthmark. So this priest, he was involved in the death of Thorn's son and the swap out. Right. And Got that's, it. that's where his, that's how he knows all right. of the details. That makes that's so much sense. He was, you know, he was there in, in right. the church. He saw the baby being born from, sure, he's able to say he's cut off. His, his mother was a ju- he was there he witnessed the birth yeah that um, makes so much i mean that is right there you've just got to see it yeah that makes a lot of sense um but yeah no his his performance is phenomenal brilliant. it's so so good um, <laughs> knocks it out of the park <laughs> hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> Lol. do you know who, do you know who else do you know who else i really like in the film is you know i've now christened her scary poppins um <laughs> but they the nanny i mean she's i love oh. it Billy White, seriously, man. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. She is brilliant. The, I love that. Is the only bit of the film where we were like, fire this woman yeah. seriously, like immediately fire her. Um, Surely she... you're not so stuck for staff that you can't find somebody. Freddy Krueger would be a better babysitter than yeah. this woman. Get this dog out of my house for crying out loud! Like, how ah, very dare you? But she brings in a phenomenally creepy performance doesn't she there's a yeah, bit it's of a when she, it's when yeah it's when she flips from being you know typical nanny you know talking to the to damien to then suddenly mm-hmm. just looking at him with that intensity going i know exactly what's going to happen yeah. that that's just I'm just gonna leave well the door open so you can cycle out into the hallway that sequence that entire so sequence i mean this is a film of set pieces um it is. like it, there's just you know, knocks them out, knocks them out, knocks them out. But that one, there is music. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith earned his Oscar here. There are some mm-hmm. moments that work well with the silence, but this one, it works well in combination with. But um, it was also the scene where we christened Damien with our own little descriptor, which <laughs> fear of being immediately <laughs> drummed off the air, we will not be saying. But uh, Why not? It's our show. I was very tempted to make it the episode of the title, but we decided against it. <laughs> this little shit. Your, your kid's a character. <laughs> yeah, your kid's a... <laughs> um, Love it. So um, and it's so, so good. tense and it's prolonged and it does it well. It's It's got a quicker pace than The Exorcist does, but it's still, it doesn't go into the rapid fire that you would see in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I prefer this film to The Exorcist. Um, I, I might be on an island, but it is the pacing thing. Um, this has got more of a mystery to it for me that they're bet- between him and Gol Madred, um, Mr. Warner, they are trying to solve this mystery, but I can actually see them getting to the end of it. And there, it's you don't need a two and a three. This is a complete story in itself. And actually, the devil wins. Like if you don't pick up from this film again, it's mission accomplished. And actually, the fact that he wins and it's a satisfying ending <laughs> tells you just how well it's crafted, Which right? Is bonkers, because your main cast dies. Everyone, everyone's yeah. dead. How can you be satisfied with that ending? But yet you are. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I it's think very it, clever. 
I think it's because you've had a good ride along the way. So even your side character, Mr. Warner, um, is it Jeffries? Not Jeffries. Keith Jennings. Jennings. Um, yeah. I kind of merged Keith and Jennings there. That was awesome. Jeffries. Like <laughs> um, my, I think my favourite scene is the the photography development scene. Um, when he's going yeah. through, yeah, I took these pictures, I took these pictures. It's got a bit of the ring about it when they're looking through the videos and it's like, well, your your face is blurry when I take a picture of you. That stuff is right up my alley. And when he, he accidentally catches his own reflection in the camera, oh, it's so that is so It's so menacing. So you know death is coming to him, but yet yep. you're still, well, I certainly was absolutely bloody shocked when that happened. And yeah. like you, you guys could attest to me like literally screaming no 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 and then it, and then it happened and it's like whoa okay here we go it was good because yeah. the, the pair of you now I, you know i know you've seen this before but the pair of you you had such beautiful reactions when we were watching this together as you say albert you were just you, you're like this sense of dread or something you knew it was coming and then ian i don't know if you were aware that you did this but you just went hey, it's about to get final destination <laughs> yeah i did it was a little bit it was very very much final destination because it was like the handbrake on the truck was engaged and then disengaged and then it rolls and then for some reason they're carrying glass we don't know where to these sheets of glass no idea where they're going they're probably getting scratched but it rolls backwards as he's like fumbling through the to find the daggers that gregory peck has chucked into the distance and it is just you know what's gonna happen and it's so, so good. And it's it doing severed... I hate severed heads in horror films because you can't do it well for the very simple reason of it's frowned upon to sever the head of any of your actor actors, even if you are done filming them. So you have to make a prosthetic of some kind. But the shot of the reflection of Warner's head... It is Warner, isn't it? Yes, yeah. 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 Um, in the mirror is brilliant because it blocks out the rest of his body but you know that the head isn't where it's supposed to be. There's even just just a split second before that shot of the reflection. So the the camera goes from like a close-up where you see the fantastic, the head flip, and then it cuts to through that window that the sheet of glass comes through and it hits a workbench. On that workbench, there is a jar of red paint that gets thrown up into the air. So you see the red comes down. Because I was watching, uh, I wish I was clever enough to have spotted that now myself but i was watching the point scenes and it was the director giggling said you don't see blood in that scene you see paint and that's exactly what it is and it's exactly oh, how we got away with it and so it's good. so good. well done that is genius oh man so, we're almost okay. spoiled so, nowadays aren't we with what we can do and we don't have to be that inventive in film so can i was this richard donner's first theatrical film then because he obviously went on to direct the goonies and like oh, yeah superman was one of the supermans as well or something he did uh, superman 2 exists that is was done yeah. by richard donner but there's another version it's all that's an episode yeah himself. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, isn't it just actually now I, I i know this was 76 i don't know where that falls in the richard donner chronolo chron chronology that's the one chronology that's the better one um i so feel like again it's one of those little bits of information I had in the back of my head that it was his first film. I um, just going but I to could, could be wrong. I think he'd only done TV or something up to this point. I have um, this feeling that he came on board late and finished the film. Probably. 
Oh, so, funny. A Shadow in the Street, no, it's a TV movie, TV movie, TV series directed by The the Toy is apparently, no, The Omen is his first. Oh, nice. this, yeah. this guy, honestly, the, the Omen, Superman, Superman 2, uncredited, um, Lady Hawk, which I know of, and The Goonies, um, and then obviously goes on to do Lethal Weapon. What a bizarre filmography this guy <laughs> has, seriously. You go from The Omen to Lethal Weapon. To the Goonies. Yeah, sorry, yeah. forgot the Goonies. <laughs> but again, I mean, it just shows for someone to create a film as accomplished as this, as his first yeah. feature oh, film. Yeah. I mean, it's really remarkable. And there's um, some really I... revolutionary things that they do as well, like the death scene of the mum. I don't know how they did that now. It, it looks like she falls about one foot, but they slow it down to make it look like she's falling the whole way. Do you know what I mean when she falls off the balcony? Yeah. <laughs> falls or was pushed. Well, or was, yeah, was shot was, by Satan. Um yeah, pushed by the goldfish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was sorry. I was thinking later on in the film. No, I no, thought... no, no. In the house when she she's initially holding on to the balcony but falls off. Okay, I do know how they did that. Do you want do, yeah, do no, you I want to peek know. behind yeah. the curtain? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay, so effectively she doesn't move. They bring they bring the floor to her. Oh, what the and fuck! It's, oh, that's and it's awesome. vertical. It's vertical, right? So oh, that's those amazing. little goldfish are just kind of they're like you can imagine a little finger through the hole going, and he's like moving the goldfish's tail, <laughs> no, no and it was way. shot in such a way that it, it, yeah, because obviously they were like, how do we drop you? Um, to which the reply was, I'm sorry, but there's got to be easier ways of dropping her than going Inception on it. Also, I can that confirm, not that I was not that I was there, but I can confirm in the officially licensed released material that no goldfish was harmed in the filming of that scene. Awesome, and that would have been easy to do, wouldn't it? Fuck yeah. these guys. Just yeah. has anybody got any goldfish on set? Yeah, no. Um, uh, Warner def really, really likes to have some goldfish in his in his little room that he has in his dressing room. Not anymore. Get a choice. You can say five <laughs> goldfish or one Lee Remick. Make a choice. I do like goldfish. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's brilliant. So they created the living room on the wall and yeah, brought it effective, towards her. Effectively, yeah. And then she, the camera um, followed her. Um, and yeah. And even kind of, I don't mind saying that because the discovery of that doesn't spoil, because that's particularly where she's hanging off the balcony. Mm. That's horrible. Yeah, that's hideous. And you know what? The shot is just short enough for me to have not caught that. So I think they... They, I mean, you've gone to that effort for essentially two seconds of film and it would have been really tempting to extend that because you've gone to all of the effort, but it does the job. It's, oh, I'm impressed. That's brilliant. And that's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There's some interesting choices, I think, though, in the direction as well, like earlier in the film. And I know we kind of mentioned this when we were watching it, but like the, the score is so, it's almost like a... Uh, a romance film you know like when the yeah, let's get into the school yeah and but also there's that interesting before we're going to score that interesting kind of photo montage of like the family <laughs> growing up and it felt very tv like and it kind of it felt you know thinking back on it it feels quite strange when you've got the quality of shots that come later um but it's also quite clever in a way because it's giving you that sort of sense of comfort and ease and it's the type of you know shot you would have seen in probably a, a you know a TV movie in the seventies, mm. um, TV romance or something. And then as you go on, like it gets more and more sophisticated in terms of how the 
the direction is done. Um, so, you know, I just found that quite interesting. It's almost like I'd forgotten about it until, you know, I was thinking through the films today and I was like, hang on, how did they go from Rome to the, the end? And I was like, oh, there was that weird montage thing. Um, <laughs> And there's that brilliant scene then when, uh, you know, they're out for a walk and Damien goes missing and the music goes from this like sweeping, romantic, like playing on their obvious love for each other through to this like really creepy kind of um, more dissonant take as, you know, suddenly they realise that Damien's missing and there he is sort of laughing by the stream quite creepily. Um, so yeah, that was that was a, a sequence that sticks out in my brain a bit, and again, kind of shows just the the cleverness of the of the film overall. But yeah, the score, the, oh my god, the score! It's well so good. before before we do, I'm really really glad you brought up that opening montage because that is when I knew this film was better than the than how or better directed than the Amityville Horror because I never for a second assumed that was low quality, low budget, or poorly done. Mm. I always kind of thought that is deliberate to, I'm going to set you up. This is an idyllic family. This is music in the fields. This is the sound of music, um, painting a nice picture. And it, you're right, it does feel like 1970s TV movie thing, which obviously was his background. Um, so it's nice to see him use that. And it just makes that, you're right, it makes the rest of the film stand out and pop so much more because their world falls apart. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And even just, you know, it, it just oozed romance up to the bit where suddenly, you know, um, Damien goes missing. But it's yeah. just so well crafted. I, I really, that stuck out for me afterwards. It felt sort of incidental when I was watching it, but it's only now with the gift of hindsight and looking back over the film, I'm like, actually, that was really bloody clever. Yeah, um, really. It's a really good um uh, juxtaposition to the to what Damien actually is because he's a gift to them um yeah it's a dark secret that he's not actually the mothers but he he's a gift and they've got this per he's got the dream job they've got the dream house in London um all of this space perfect life um birthday party everything comes crashing down it is it's not even he does a couple of things that are odd or a little things that are suspicious nope the nanny dies that's your introduction to the world of the omen. What um, the film's yeah. going to be different from this point on. I think that's the last set piece. Well, we could just wrap up on the set pieces before we do the score. That shocked the pants off me. I forgot that entirely. Um, oh, just jumping up. That goes right through me, that hanging scene. That is, again, I don't know how they did it, but they did it well. Yeah, well, Mike, it's properly disturbing because of obviously what we're watching and the scene in which it's set what a contrast like literally stick it at a kid's party there's too many kids there to cover up all of the eyes yeah. you can't do it some of those kids saw that happen in fact probably most of them did and i thought the other thing i thought that was really cool about that was um the like the composition of the shot when she's hanging she sort of looks like a marionette doll, like hanging yeah. off a dollhouse. And yes. the fact that she's being controlled by someone else um, really stuck out to me. Uh, I thought that was really crafty. And when she does her little speech, and she's like, "It was all, it's all for you, Damien, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, it's like, holy fuck, what's going on here? Because you're even not sure, because obviously that she has that incredible scene where she's looking at the Rot Rottweiler and it's, mm -hmm. there's some something 
you know, telepathic going on there. Um, but I'm guessing that's because Damien's able to control animals and therefore puts the suggestion in that way. So even then you're like, hang on, is it Damien? Is it someone else? What's going on? Um, and again, as, as you get into the film, you realise just how well the foreshadowing is done. So when you're in that moment, you don't quite realise. But um, yeah, that, that there was one particular shot where she's just swinging on the rope in like hanging at the front of the house and the house is so perfect and so idyllic and it just really is like proper eerie um, yeah, there's no build-up yeah. is there it's just yeah. bam this this kid kills people it's um yeah. the 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 rottweiler because obviously there's a scene later where there's quite a few of them um it's this idea of the hellhounds i'm not yeah. sure if you're from yeah um i'm not i don't know the full story of the hellhounds oddly i do not have a master's in theology but i know that they crop up time and time again in stories and initially i was just like oh so rottweilers are bastards i see i see but oh they're just taking the form of rottweilers so rottweiler Mm. lovers out there don't worry your dogs are still cool yeah unless you hear jerry goldsmith in the background yeah, then 80 synth and then because so we'll jump. No, I'll save that for later. But the music in that scene stood out as well. That was a sharp, sharp left turn. Um, yeah. what the da, 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 I was gonna say, any other set pieces that we missed? Did the balcony, the graveyard? Yeah, um, the graveyard was oh man, that's where you that really see, yeah, and you, yeah, you really see was... losing his shit as well. Yeah, but it was the one part of the film, if I was to criticise something, it's the one part of the film where it's very bloody obvious they're on a set stage and, and not... Oh, it, it is, in fact, yeah, you're dead, right. And, yeah. and, you know, I had some minor things like, oh, they lift up the tombstone and the body's just in there, there's no earth on top of it. You know, the, there's a little bit of convenience there. Yeah, um, yeah there's no but, coffin or anything. But that is a very minor nitpick. You know, they have to kind of progress the story. So There's um, one bit, but it was, you know what? Yeah. This same scene, so they're just it's the last shot of David Warner before he climbs over the fence to get out, right? And I've seen the film so many times at this stage, I actually look forward to this moment. But there's two dog handlers standing in the bushes, <laughs> making sure the dogs are okay, and you can tell they clearly go, Oh shit, and jump out of the scene. And it's, it, and it, and it's made it all the way through. It's it's oh, I have to I have the Blu-ray, it's on the Blu-ray version, it's like and I look forward to that scene because it doesn't take me out of the scene at all. I agree with you completely. Like it's, and I say this with love, it's a very fine matte painting that they're standing in front of, but it's a matte yeah. painting. Yeah. It does take, it is a scene yeah. that takes you out. It takes me out of the movie a little bit because I picture it on an island on its own. But again, mm. I, have, I think they pulled off enough tricks to, to let, we'll, we'll let you have that one, guys. That was pretty good. The only other bit in the film that took me out of the film for a moment was when there's an establishing shot of when they first go back to London and there's a red boss with the Jaws poster on it, which I just thought was hilarious. (laughs) And I kind of, you know, it probably wasn't intentional, but it's like, oh, wow, there's like two classic films, uh, you know, a classic film within a classic film. It's kind of just a a funny moment. But um, yeah, it would make you think, did Spielberg direct this? Because that's totally something he would do. Yeah. Yeah, they're both, they're both like... Fox, which might have played into that. Uh, the yeah, Fox that's true. properties, yeah. And um, my my old marketing film brain went into ooh, that's what they. Oh. That's where the bus advertising started, I guess. There we um, go. So yeah, it was, it was very funny. So the score, um, uh, so Jerry Goldsmith, take a bow. Um, 
you we we said you can hear quite a bit of the motion picture like the march of the klingons is right at the beginning of the film isn't it um he's so this is a masterful score mm. it really is and i mean literally from that opening sequence i think i said quite you were conducting loudly. i was like i was conducting along going oh my god i love it um he has so a very trademark jerry goldsmith um yeah. orchestration thing is to use harp bassoon and clarinet and he uses it throughout this film um and there's little motifs in it that like we say remind us of other films um and the thing i love about this is like it's he's only oscar winning score ever and it was the only Oscars he decided not to go to because he was like fed up of not winning. And it's the it's one that crime, he... isn't it? Yeah, and then he went to everyone again afterwards when he was nominated and never won again. Um, but there's, yeah, there's something almost transcendent about the, the score of this film, I think. Um, so much so I, I put it on, you know, we watched the, watched the film, what was it, two days ago, but we, you know, I've been listening to the score since just kind of in the background. Um, when you get those kind of sweeping romance themes, they are so beautiful. You know, you can you can just hear the layers of orchestration. It's just incredible. And then you get those slight eerie bits. And then there's some very harsh moments where he uses synths. Um, and bearing yeah. in mind that they would have been very, like kind of new tech at the time. Um, it really sticks out, but it's really effective. Um, yeah, and didn't... weirdly... Weirdly, it just sorry, just to finish. No, it reminded it. me slightly of um, when the synth comes in um, in Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> it's uh, it almost feels weirdly out of place, like there's a, mm. a lot of use of of synth, but it just is. It's a masterclass in scoring. It really is. Um, love, love, love it. No, it really is. Um, the um, what I was going to say was the synth that it didn't take me out of the movie at all, but it made me sit up in my chair, which I think a good score does that. And yeah, it, it's at the fairground at the party when you've had the whole opening of the movie is this idyllic, almost over the top, romantic, sweeping music that this family is perfect. Look at that field, look at that bird. And then a really harsh 80s-ish synth just to say, no, 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 something's gonna happen. And yeah, something fucking does happen. The yeah, nanny's dead. Right. But it's it does a really good job of preparing you, but not spoiling it for you. That's yeah. what, one thing, particularly um, about uh, these scores in particular. So Jerry Goldsmith, he stayed with the Omen trilogy, so he does thankfully does the music for parts two and three as well, and which means he gets to develop themes and he gets to build up. Now, Ava Satani, um, which I used to feel dirty even saying. <laughs> is uh, just a, a fantastic theme tune. Let the hate yeah. flow through you. Absolutely, yeah. But it, it's just this wonderful soundscape that he creates. There's the, the the later the films get, the more Star Trek it gets. And this would be something. Now we, we may not do this as episodes, but it's something I'd love to explore with ye and see how you react to his later scores as well. Um, but. I was. I just had this image there, Albert. So back in the old days when we used to have headphones that used to plug into something, and um, you would have. Well, that, you mean uh, ones that didn't run out of batteries. Uh, ones that didn't run out of batteries, exactly. Yeah, and you would walk away and accidentally pull the cord out, and I can just imagine your partner sitting there at home, just here suddenly blaring through the house, Ave Satani. <laughs> 
I thought we spoke about this. Good, good job explaining that one. Just like, nothing. <laughs> it's fine. It's just my calming it's, music. Yeah. And again, it's like, um, you know, it, it's talking about like, hail Satan, hail the Antichrist. Like, imagine being those musicians or that those, that choir actually recording that. That must have felt so weird oh, um, and so dark. Um, you know, it's even shocking to listen to today. Um, it is, yeah. And again, because, you know, they, you know, it's, it's obviously a riff on like Valve Verum and all the kind of classical settings of that particular um, Latin prayer. Um, but it is done in a way that it is still actually quite lyrical, still is, has beautiful harmonies and the orchestration around it is amazing. But my God, it's so fucked up. And and because I didn't know about it before I watched the film, I was like, oh, they, well, what, what Whoa, are they saying? Wait a minute, that's Whoa. not right. Yeah, and then you sort of kind of realise and you're like, wow, this is intense. Um, and it's such a, again, you know, the score goes from, you know, one extreme to the other to open the film with that and then to kind of settle into that slightly more idyllic thing. And then the other bit that sticks out for me from the scoring is in the safari park. It's when the baboons attack. Oh my God, the score around that and leading into it is incredible as well. That is anxiety um, inducing. It really is. Um, I the do, movie... Yeah, I'd, I'd love to know how they filmed that because it's just... Carefully, I would think. Go on, yeah. Sean. Oh, you, oh, tell here us. Comes so we... I've literally... No, I, I, I watched the documentary like last night. Nice. Um, no, they... You would never get away today with how they filmed this so in the car um the i'm gonna say first assistant director could have been the canteen person as in i i could be getting it wrong but they drugged one of the adolescent baboons and held it in the car and then you know showed them showed it to the other baboons to say that it was there and started driving away jesus christ wowzers yeah, which is why they got such authentic. What the fuck are you doing from yeah, the baboons? Definitely not doing that today. Yeah, I mean, no. Like massive respect. The, uh, and she is genuinely terrified. That is Lee Remick yeah. in the car. She is terrified filming that scene. What about the giraffes? How did they do that? Chuck a kid was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is what we learned in demon school, isn't it? Giraffes are scared of Damien. Um, Damien pisses yeah. off baboons. It's like that's, cool. That's it. But he gets all well with dogs. Yeah. It, yeah. Here's your lesson two in defense against the dark arts. Have a baboon <laughs> ready. <laughs> Don't go near a fucking giraffe. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a very different film if the window had been open. Yeah, oh Jesus. Uh-huh. Oh. Um yeah, oh god. Yeah. No, that scene is great. I mean, it is, yeah, nice pleasant day at the zoo. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, masterfully put together. Um, was there anything? I can't. I remember the score early on. I'm a bastard for remembering the score later in the film. Is there anything it does particularly well towards the end? I suppose it. I can't. There's nothing that stands out as much. Maybe I just got used to it. I suppose because the big themes are sort of presented up front and then they return. They return um, as the film goes on. Um, yeah. You have obviously your opening credits, your Ave Satani, and then you have your love theme as well. And they sort of dominate the first, particularly the first half of the film. I think the last, as far as I know, the last utterance of the love theme is either 
when he speaks to her on the phone or potentially like a sad version of it over the funeral at the end. Yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely motifs that are kind of reappearing or subverted throughout um, and twisted a bit. But, um, you know, and, and even that scene with him talking to her in hospital and on the phone, like there's something kind of surreal about that because she's got her arm in a cast with sort of, and it almost again looks comical, <laughs> but the music just kind makes it work. <laughs> yeah. A little wiggle of the hand. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, I think it, as I say, it sticks out more and you're right, Sean, in that first half because sort of what you would expect from the kind of classical sort of scene that we were seeing in terms of family and love and nature and all that. And then it just leads you into that slightly darker place. And I think actually the scoring around the um, the graveyard bit was pretty good as well, if I remember right, particularly when they opened the, the, um, the tombs, there's some pretty good scoring there as well. And I know you've said it already, but I just want to say again, just how good Gregory Peck is in this film. It's like so that... weird you say that. I was about to say oh. the same thing. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but he's so good. He's like, I mean, obviously I wasn't around in 1976. I know sometimes I look like I was, but I mean, he wasn't known for horror in any stretch, you know? And this is a bit like, so one of my earliest memories of talking about the film was I asked dad after I'd seen it, you know, dad, you're as old as the hills. Uh, you saw this film when it was coming out. What did you feel? And after he'd finished baiting me for saying that, um, he says this genuinely scared him, this film, because of Patrick Troughton, mm -hmm. who he knew as the doctor's contemporary. He knew as the doctor. And he's, I think he said he, he originally watched this and you'll have to jump in your time machines a little bit for this one and go back and imagine, you know, the local cinema being about the size of, you know, a standard one bedroom apartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's projected up on the wall and, you know, you were there with your mates and it was push-up chairs. He might've been putting some of this on, but anyway, but yeah, it's kind of push-up chairs and watching Doctor Who get killed by the devil. And he said it, it frightened the absolute shite out of him. And... Gregory Peck, who was cinema's dad, was there just utterly demented and broken down. And even as we were watching it again this time, um, we come up to the end and, you know, he has his face off with Scary Poppins um, and he gets in the... And from the moment he gets in the car, it's so uncomfortable because his eyes spell murder and sadness. Yeah. Well, it's resignation, isn't it? He, he goes from, I Damien killed my wife, I'm going to kill Damien, to realising that this means killing a child, mm -hmm. and maybe the child is fine and he's just got the devil in him, to doing a 180 and saying, nope, kid's got to die. He's tortured and he delivers it so well. And I think that yeah. it's... I wish more horror films would do this, of casting people that aren't necessarily horror actors because it doesn't have to be you don't have to be in this parallel universe let's just imagine these horrible things are happening in the real world and it's that's what's scary because so much of this film is just normal in inverted commas um that yeah. i think that's why it creeps me out I yeah i think the the other, the other scene with gregory i think that stands out 
for me in relation to what you were talking about earlier it's the one moment where he sort of overacts and not in a in a bad way but is when he is um before he throws the knives and he's talking about i can't do it i can't just kill a child yeah. he is a child and he actually properly gets real like um there's lots of gesticulation and obviously yeah. ends him throwing the knives and that is so uncharacteristic for Gregory Peck as an actor that actually it just when it happened i was like whoa it makes it hit home doesn't it what you're talking yeah. about is ridiculous like we're not going to be okay with this you are killing a 10 year old or whatever there is no yeah. happy ending here like if if yes. say uh jennings lived and say um kathy lived cassie uh lived and you still yes he might have been the son of satan but you have still murdered a little boy. And also, unless he's got connections we don't know about, you did it on an altar in a church. You don't walk away from that. Who's going to believe If they you? successfully did it. Anybody with any evidence is dead. You, yep. No one's going to believe this story at all. There is a no-win situation. Um, yeah, it's genius. But I think, so bottom line, the, the reason I love this film so much is the characters, the score, and the directing. Now, I know that is basically why you should love any film, but all three, uh, five-star, top-tier, um, every single performance. I mean, they're cheating by casting such good people. Like, I'll watch Warner read literally anything. He can read my birth certificate and I'll be happy. Um, he's just magnetic. Peck carries it, Scary Mary, Scary Mary, Scary Poppins carries it. Um, all of it is just spot on. It's so, so good. What What is it that, that makes you guys want to rewatch it? I, I think this is probably, of the films we've watched so far, I think possibly the scariest um, for me, even though I didn't react necessarily that way while watching the film. It's kind of stuck in my mind a little bit. Um, so, you know, I talked about when we watched The Exorcist, how I just couldn't stop thinking about it the next day. And this has done the same thing to me. Yeah. It's also made me really intrigued to see where it goes next. So I know, Sean, you mentioned to me that like two and three are actually equally, well, not as good, but are very strong um, sequels. Mm. Uh, whereas obviously The Exorcist 2 is you know, a regular on the worst films ever list. Um, so I'm kind of intrigued to know how it develops um i'm sort of weirdly rooting for damien <laughs> isn't that weird it I, is I, I get why i'm rooting for damien because i'm i'm in the antichrist fan club but i mean I'm, well, i don't actually true. i don't actually worship satan I just, it's all nonsense but I, I for you two to be so on side is quite fascinating oh well i didn't say i was <laughs> the, the well, only non-heathen among us but fucking words. No, but like I, I, I see exactly what you mean because there is a kind of you do you you root for the bad guy sometimes if they're charismatic. And what I will say is Harvey Stevens, who I think was maybe six or seven at the time, he he doesn't they in a very clever way, they don't hang a lot of things on him. They don't, don't try and him. make him do some speeches that would be bloody ridiculous coming out of the mouth of a child yeah um like they does he say two words other than mummy mummy take me home he, daddy please no yeah it's that's it. that i mean that cuts because you know what you're looking at yeah is a little boy who is being terrorized by i mean it doesn't even bear saying out loud mm. but it's 
the son of Satan trying to but, manipulate a good person. But but is it? Is it? Because it's never really answered. Is there a good kid there that's being possessed, or is it the devil yeah, spawn choice, yeah. that is just being saying what he needs to say to try and live? Um, I, I tend to believe the latter. I, I yeah, personally I, like to think that any baby born from a jackal uh, has the right to choose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and I love the fact that they didn't go down the kind of, and, and this is where I think it's probably superior to The Exorcist, is that they didn't do, oh, we're going to do dem- demonic possession voice on the cage, mm. or you know, oh, they could have done. You yeah. never, you never actually see him like be pure evil. Yes, no. you see him kind of knock his mother. But, you know, any kid could do that in a way yeah. like, you know, and any kid might say, Daddy, no, no, you know, or Mommy, thank you for the ice cream or whatever. And that's where it's slightly Scare superior for me. Yeah, because, you know, Reagan in The Exorcist, you see things going wrong and she's acting out and stuff very early. Whereas with this, like, if you just saw the scenes of Damien alone, you could be like, this is just a normal kid without context. These yeah. are horrible, horrible parents. That's why it worked out. Horrible things happen around him. There's no absolutely that this is his fault. He, he, like I said, even knocking his mother over. It's just a, an accident, really. Yeah. Just unfortunate. Um, yeah, really, really cleverly done. Um, that le- that leads into my Damien story, actually, which I'm sure everyone is waiting on tenterhooks for. So there was a thing called Collectomania, uh, which is still going. And well, I don't know the COVID world, but um, it takes place in Birmingham and Milton Keynes. Um, and the first one that I ever went to, it was coincidentally a few weeks after I'd seen Damien. So I think I was about 13 or 14. So, sorry, Damien, seen the omen. So I'd, I'd seen the film and it just so happened, I, mean, I was there for Star Trek people, but he was there and he was sat at the very end. There wasn't a single person queuing to see him, which made me oh. really sad. Oh. And I don't, I think it was just the wrong crowd. Like this was a sci-fi thing. It wasn't particularly a horror crowd. Um, so, I mean, I just like kind of thought, Mum, can we can we go and go and queue up? And I was like, this is going to be so creepy. I had to psych myself up. And I was like, he's going to do something fucked up. Because I thought he's going to stay in character. Because um, this was my first convention. I didn't realise they were human beings. So I was like, I'm going to see Damien. He's going to be fucked up. Something's going to happen. We, we walk straight up to him. We pick a picture. And he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? And he has a nice, jolly chat with us. And I couldn't help but go, oh. <laughs> I wanted to be spooked like he's an amazing guy him and my mum had a nice chat we, we had a talk and he was like have you still got the bike and he was like hand on heart I still have the bike and um, they let me keep it no um, way so cool and oh, wow. I was just like okay cool see you later and then that was it and I think that was the most interaction he'd had all day oh <laughs> that's so, so so good if by any chance Harvey Stevens listens to this episode Please reach out. We loved you in this film. You were so good. Oh, come on to yes. the podcast. We can we can have a catch up. It's been a few years since. Absolutely, talked. yeah. You're you're old buddy, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we lost touch. Um, brilliant. No, I absolutely love it. Um, right, man. What a comparison to to the Amityville horror. Um, my, my, my final thought on that is this film doesn't use cheap tricks like the Amityville horror does, and it doesn't doesn't need to. Um, and I think there's a good film in Amityville as well if it doesn't use the jump scares and cheap tricks. Fair. And maybe some modern horror films could do the same. Any closing thoughts, chaps? Albert? Um, just that, you know, even just this conversation has made me realise I need to go back and watch it several same. more times um, yeah. to pick up on all the layers. 
uh, and kind of the more I learn about it, the more impressed I am um, with the film and and you know how it ended up. And you know, I was doing a little bit of reading on it this morning, and and even just to realise that it was pretty much shopped around to every studio, and no one wanted to touch it um, because you know the Exorcist happened, and that was the moment. Um, and then just to to see what was produced off the back of it and there's a lot of risk in the film there's a lot of things that would go on to, to define the genre but it feels like the most grounded of all the movies we've watched you know in yes. this kind of horror genre for me totally agree. yeah it's yeah it still has the menace the horror the deaths um and i like the kind of leaning into the, the mythology side of it so i was like really intrigued by the archaeologist exorcist guy at the end and where that might go if if he appears ever again um so you know i think it is a pretty masterful film um the score has is actually my favorite now of all we've mm -hmm. um watched so far and my god gregory peck what an actor um and you know it is just a master class in how to do subtle yet impactful acting um so yeah I, I i really loved it you know it's a good solid nine and a half out of ten for me uh, what it makes me want to do is watch gregory peck's back catalogue like go through i want to watch everything he's been in now um and this is it's made me want to dig more into 70s cinema as well and watch some of the classics because i have it's a bit i, I love the french connection uh, that's probably my go-to 70s film but the quality, you forget it's even made 50 years ago. The quality is outstanding. It's just a good film to watch. What do you, yeah. what's, what's your closing thoughts, Sean? Um, like pretty much agreeing with Perry. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Like and I, I was trying to think of it as well. If you, if you lift some of, not that you would, but if you lift some of the music from a couple of the scenes, nothing supernatural happens on screen. You don't see, you know, whereas in, say, The Exorcist, Reagan levitates off the bed. It doesn't take away from the film. But that I think to agree with your point, Albert, that it's so grounded, even though it's about the son of Satan yeah. and it's about religious themes and everything. Um, it's the no. way the creepy scenes are framed, isn't it? So nothing supernatural happens, but they're framed in a way that makes you think it was. It, it, it's, so, it's something Final Destination could have taken a trick from. Yeah, you know I couldn't I mean? adjust. I have thoughts on that series of films as well. Oh, there's, yeah, there's pl pl plenty of talks <laughs> on that, all right. But yeah, I, I think it's... I'm delighted to say, I know I keep trying to sell it. I don't have uh, shares in the films or anything, but I'm delighted to say that the sequels, no, they're not as good as the first one, but they're solid. They're mm. solid movies. It doesn't just cash in, which you would be forgiven for doing. Yeah. And so the where, how does. many... Where do they go off to in the sequels? So Stop we've got three. two... So, well, it's, uh, right, there's two, three, four, there's a remake. Two, three, um, four, and a remake. That's it. Uh, four oh, that it? was, it, yeah, yeah, four was they supposed to be a backdoor pilot to a TV series. And oh, I think okay. they knew making it that it was a bad idea. So, right. yeah. But yeah, one, two, and three, um, I can't say too much without spoilers, but yeah. um, all strong films, strong performances. Uh, particular two is very good. Two ha and two has some for the time acting royalty in it so yeah who's in it sorry um william holden and he uh, would have it so today good. you might be like oh, i don't know but he would have been he was the first choice for robert thorne for the omen 
Oh, interesting. And turned it down because he didn't think it was going to be a good film. So they went to Gregory Peck. Wasn't Charlton Heston attached to it as well at one point, I think. Oh, that's I would, awesome. I would it, believe you now. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, it's it, it's good. And that's, you know, that's something for, you know, a couple of pizza movies and we'll, we'll, we'll do that one evening yeah, as well. It's, it's definitely yeah. a series that, it, of the films we've covered so far, this is the one that I want to follow up on and watch watch the other films. Um, yeah. But I think this is, I'm going to come back and watch this every year. This is going to be one of my Halloween films now. Absolutely love it. Right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Go and watch this movie. It was it make if you accidentally watched Amityville after we watched or in in anticipation of of the podcast, I'm really sorry. Um, but the omen you will not be disappointed. It's absolutely phenomenal. Albert Sean, where are we finding you on the Twitters? Uh so you could find me at Albert Hogan on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Sean Ferrick on Twitter. Um, if you go to my website, seanferrick.wordpress.com, there's links to everything there. So check it out. Beautiful. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. We will see you next week. Bye. 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 Your, kids are, your kids are coming. <laughs> I'm leaving it in, Ian. I'm leaving it in. <laughs>